Thank you for tuning in to Sounding Out to the Nations. This is Evangelist Ronnie Casillas. I want to share with you a message today that I've titled Living Godly in a Sinful World. The message is about time. You know, here we are. We find ourselves living in 2019. Um, I just turned 61 years old and I've been thinking a lot about time and how much time I have left in this world before I go on to see my Savior in heaven. Uh, it's a thing that I'm anticipating joyfully. But at the same time, I want to utilize every single minute of my life to bring souls into the kingdom of God, to love my family and to provide for them, and to guide them into a future even without me, me being here. And so I've titled this message, Living Godly in a Sinful World, because history is quickly coming to an end. The clock is moving rapidly. What time we do have here, we must learn to live right. How to live the rest of your life for God is the issue addressed in 1 Peter chapter 4. And that's where we're going to be reading from. 1 Peter chapter 4. Martin Luther once said, There are two days on my calendar. Get that, only two days on his calendar. Today and that day. It's today that I can live fruitfully and leave an inheritance to someone else. Or that day, which is the day of judgment, the day that I see my Savior and give account for my life. Time is the coin of your life, Carl Sandburg once said. Time is the coin of your life. It is the only coin you have and only you can determine how it will be spent. Be careful lest you let other people spend it for you. Benjamin Franklin said, Do you love life? Then do not squander time, for it is the stuff life is made of. And so we're going to be talking about this stuff that life is made of, which is time. Living godly in a sinful world. You must have a biblical perspective uh, of life as God intends for us to live. And, and some of the encounters we have with suffering and challenges and trials, 16 times is the word suffering either mentioned or implied in um, the first chapter or fourth chapter of First Peter. And so I think what Peter was trying to tell us is that uh, when it comes to suffering, outlook determines outcome. And so I'm uh, drinking a hot cup of tea this morning in a cool day in Texas. And so if you hear a sipping sound, that's what, what I'm doing. I'm enjoying a hot, hot cup of tea. And so Peter speaks of four attitudes to develop or cultivate um, in our lives so that we can utilize time and, and really live out the rest of our life to the, to the uh, fullest. And so uh, the first attitude to develop or cultivate is a militancy towards sin. A militancy towards sin. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Scripture says, Since Christ has suffered physically, take the same attitude that he had. A person who has suffered physically no longer sins. That way you won't be guided by sin 
sinful human desires as you live the rest of your lives on earth. Instead, you will be guided by what God wants you to do. And verse 3 says, You spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers like to do. You were promiscuous, had sinful desires, got drunk, went to wild parties, and took part in the forbidden worship of false gods. Arm yourself with the knowledge that you have died to sin. In fact, uh, Romans chapter 6 talks about this to reckon yourself dead unto sin. If we've been crucified with Christ, then when we should put it to our account that we are dead to sin, Romans 6 tells us. Jesus set his face like flint. He was militant. You must also have militancy towards sin. Sin will destroy the rest of time here on planet Earth. It'll eat away, it'll chew away at time. In fact, as you get older, you'll wake up one day and you realize that you have squandered so, so much of your time, which is your life, and um, you'll have a guilty conscience, you'll feel condemnation, you'll know that you know that you lost um, time and 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 really were slowed down in this this um, uh, quest to find our destiny and our calling and our purpose in life. And so you will lose sight of time till you realize how much of it you have squandered. You get acclimated to sin and darkness here on the earth. Do you know that? We get used to it. We get acclimated to sin and darkness. You walk, for example, into a restaurant that is not well lit and dark and you you uh with your eyes squinting you gradually ad- adjust to the darkness around you and all of a sudden you can see perfectly well in a dark room how many have experienced something like that i have well this reminds me of the things uh of darkness in, in this world we get acclimated to it we get used to it and before we know it, we're living perfectly the same way we were living um, without sin in our life. Um, now, children of light living in the dark world, and we get acclimated to it. We get used to it. And it reminds me of the frog that was placed in a pot of cool water. The, the frog began to swim in the water as the water was gradually heated till it began to boil at 212 degrees. All the while the frog getting acclimated to the change of temperature. Continue to swim and swim and paddle with his feet and his arms. Even to the point that the frog was cooked and of course dead. It was boiled in boiling water till he died. Not knowing that the water had changed temperatures. And our society is a generation of graduality. I don't know if that's a word or not, but um, that kind of came to my mind here, that our society is a generation of graduality. You see, well, it's the times we're living in, you hear people say. When they fall or they struggle with sin, they say, well, the world has changed, and and, uh, the sinful people living in this world have cultivated such an atmosphere of sin that it's far hard to reach... Uh, to live a holy life. 
Folks, in times like this, we need to remember what sin did to Jesus. We need to remember what sin did to you. We need to remember that, what sin did to me in my past. It destroyed me. It cost me money. It cost me a family. It cost me friends. It cost me a career. Sin hurt me, and, and I ended up in jail. Uh, sentence with an eight-year sentence because of alcoholism and uh, DUIs in my life. And uh, I must remember what sin did to me in my past if I'm going to live a holy life and cultivate uh, militancy towards sin. I have to have that type of attitude. Second, I have to have an urgency towards the sinner. 1 Peter 4.4 4 says, Unbelievers insult you now because they are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excess of while living. I remember when I first got saved, my friends that I was drinking with and drugging with, uh, they all would mock me and uh, make fun of me. Uh, they'd criticize me. Um, they'd tell me that I'm just calling upon this salvation or the Savior. Uh, for a time being because I was going to fall back into sin. And you probably experienced that type of critique upon your life. This Verse 5 says, They will give an account to the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's coming a day when those that are mocking you and the sinners in this world will give an account. And so verse 6 says, After all the good news was told to people like that, although they are not now dead. I mean, he's talking about uh, the men and women and children that lived in the days of Noah. Uh, he mentions that in the previous chapter. And so, after all the good news was told to people like that, I mean, they were sinners, and they were critiquing Noah for building an ark, building a boat, when no rain had ever fallen from the skies upon this earth. There was no flood, there was no water, and they were critiquing him. But Noah continued faithfully um, with an urgency towards the sinner. He continued to preach the gospel for 120 years to give every single man and woman of that time an opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus. And it says there, It was told to them so that they could be judged like humans in their earthly lives and live like God in their spiritual lives. There is a judgment awaiting the sinner, a time when the sinner must give account. The word account, according to Thayer's dictionary, means reckoning or a score. Reckoning or a score. Uh, you have to give account. Uh, you have to read your score. Um, how, how you fared upon this earth in relation to sin. The word account also means to answer or uh, give an explanation in reverence to judgment. What a day of reckoning that will be. And Peter speaks of the gospel having been preached to the sinner in Noah's day. The sinner is accountable and without excuse. There must be an urgency towards the sinner because there is a command from above. God says, go ye into all the world. There is a command from above there's also a call from without 
I mean, men and women are crying and calling out for God, calling out for an answer, not knowing that the answer is in Jesus Christ, not knowing that you must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And they're out there. They're without. They're without Christ. They're without uh, the Holy Spirit leaving them and living in their lives and guiding them. They're without the freedom of sin and, and guilt and condemnation. But there's also a cry from beneath. I believe that the men and women and even children, teenagers that are in hell today are crying out from beneath. They're crying out from hell itself uh, like the rich man begged Abraham to send the, the beggar to his brothers so they'd not end up in the same place that he was at, which is a place of torment, uh, a place where there's gnashing of teeth, a place called hell itself. So there is a command from above. That's why we must have an urgency towards the sinner because God commands us. He doesn't request, make a request. He doesn't ask us. He doesn't beg us. He commands us. There's a command from above. There's a call from without. There's a cry from beneath. And there's also a constraint from within. You see, the Holy Spirit in us quickens us and compels us. He's pushing us from the inside out. Um, we all of a sudden or suddenly sense that compassion towards the sinner. That's a constraint from within. And so... We must realize that God is at work in our lives to thrust us out to the nations of the earth, to sound out the word to the nations, to preach the gospel to the lost, to share that Jesus reigns. I was in Ecuador recently and had um, over 200 people give their lives to the Lord in, a, um, in, in altar services that we had at altar time that we had at the end of my preaching and and I was amazed with how people gave their lives to the Lord 84% of Ecuadorians serve uh, 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 idolatrous religion in their country and uh, very very serious type of idolatry and um, idolatry is having some someone or something else other than God as your God and so only 11% of the people of Ecuador are Protestants. And so I was stunned to see such a response at the altars. Went to a restaurant uh, one night and the next morning I went back to the restaurant and I had gotten to meet a uh, one of the waiters at, the, at a restaurant. And um, I shared with him the plan of salvation. And he said to me, he says, I haven't received Jesus because I'm afraid to pray to God. I'm afraid of his judgment. I'm fearful. And so I said, look, we've been talking now for two days and and um, you, there's no reason for you to fear talking to me, is there? And he said, no. And he said, but I'm afraid to talk to God because I don't know how to pray. And I said, well, I'll help you. I'll lead you in a prayer. And uh, I said, what matters is that you're sincere in your heart when you receive him as your Lord and Savior. It's God's plan for your salvation. And I said, we got to do things God's way. And I said, you're ready to do that, right? And he said, yes, I am. And so uh, what drove me to do that? There's an urgency towards the sinner. Folks, uh, today we must cultivate uh, 
or develop a militancy towards sin, an urgency towards the sinner. And third of all, we're to cultivate a fervency towards the saints. Be fervent towards the saints. Listen to this verse, 1 Peter 4.8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. You see, that command is for us to to cultivate love, have a fervency of love towards the saints in the church of God, in the house of God. And even those that are out there without a church, that are out there, they're unchurched people in, in this world that we live, they've gotten hurt, they've gotten abused, some of them have been mistreated or embarrassed in the church and it's time for them to come back they chose to walk away from the church and they'll make statements when you talk to them like well church is filled with hypocrites well yes you know we're people that are being changed and transformed and renewed day by day and so above all things there has to be a priority or most important that's what the word fervent means to uh, above all things or a priority or most important have fervent charity or love this means to have a love for the saints that is always stretched out to them your arm is always stretched out to them your heart is stretched out to them uh, in fact hospitality is encouraged and it's ordered or commanded hospitality means to be generous to guests Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider one another to promote unto love and to good works. To promote unto love and good works. A fervency towards the saint. To promote to promote um hospitality around us listen to hebrews ten twenty four. it says and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching now we're told here uh, that we're to provoke others unto love and to good works. How do we do that? We do that by assembling ourselves in the house of God. And and so we cannot encourage other saints uh, unless uh, we're coming to church and fellowshipping one with another. Uh, unless we're going out into the highways and byways and encountering unchurched people that have already received the Lord Jesus Christ but walked away from the house of God. Um, the word uh, to provoke there is stress, to provoke and to love, almost to to startle, to wake, awake, waken something inside their heart and their mind, to love and to do good works in the house of God. And so, so we're to exhort it. The word exhort it means to to compel people to come alongside you to encourage them to run the race even harder than they've run. It reminds me of the Canadian geese. 
We can learn so much from them about caring for fellow saints. You see, geese fly together in a V formation. Perhaps you've seen them flying high in the sky. Uh, you know when they fly in a V formation, it provides additional lift and it reduces air resistance. Um, it's like driving behind, a, uh, when you're coming up on an 18-wheeler ahead of you, uh, you can sense the winds and, and the gusts of that wind hitting up against your car. But as you get close to the 18-wheeler, um, you actually um, uh, get an additional lift from that because there's a reduction of resistance. Uh, the resistance is, is handled by the truck itself in front of you. And so kind of hidden behind it. And so... Um, so the geese fly together in a V formation and provides additional lift for them. In other words, they don't tire out as easily. It reduces air resistance. Uh, but you, one drops out of the V formation and discovers that it requires more effort and energy to fly. And geese rotate leadership. They rotate. Um, some of them fly as far as 300 miles in one day and and uh, that gets tiring and so especially if you're at the head of the v where you're taking all the wind gusts of winds and the handling the resistance of, of air there that's hitting up against you and you tire out and so what they the geese do is they rotate leadership to continue to fly in that v formation and so and they also honk at each other and I got excited when I heard that, when I read that. The geese honk at each other. They're saying to each other, come on, you can make it. Honk, honk. Come on, you can win this race. We can get there to our, to our place of destination. Honk, honk. And we're told over and over that in this uh, research that I did that the geese encourage each other and they help each other out. Uh, if one of them drops down or is shot by a hunter, for instance, um, two geese from the formation will fly to where that injured geese is at, and they'll stay with them uh, till they're able to fly again. And so uh, that's an attitude we must have, a fervency towards the saints of God. So we're to have uh, a militancy towards sin. We are to have an urgency towards the sinner. We're to have a fervency towards the saints. And last of all, we are to have an expectancy towards the Savior. Folks, Jesus is coming back someday soon. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And so we're to uh, be sober or watchful. <clears throat> and we're also to be watchful unto prayer. And so, uh, because the end of all things is at hand. I mean, that was some 2,000 years ago that Peter wrote those words. And if the, the, the end of all things was at hand then, can you imagine how close we are today? This verse reminds us to keep a close eye and handle and a handle on all your carnal desires. Jesus is coming soon or 
could be coming soon. That, of course, is the underlying theme of the entire Bible. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was an alert given as to the seed of the woman trampling upon the head of the serpent. And so God set the world uh, with a vision towards the future. God set the entire world with that in mind. That at the forefront of their thinking and their vision for the future, that there was one coming, a seed of the woman that was coming to destroy the serpent. And so Jesus came uh, some three or four thousand years later, and uh, Jesus came and Jesus died. And the saints once again were put on alert as Jesus ascended to the heavens. The angels that were there said, Don't fear. This The same way Jesus went up, he'll come back down. See, Jesus is coming again, folks. Every knee shall bow before him. Every eye shall see him. Saints are ex- exhorted to be sober, be vigilant, and pray. This truth motivates us to live right for God, to be holy and righteous, to be faithful and obedient. This truth of the the fact that Jesus is coming, coming back uh, motivates us to live a holy life places a fear for God inside, inside our heart and so I want to encourage you to live your life for God during the recent recession one commentator on television began his newscast by saying due to the current financial crisis the light at the end of the tunnel will be turned off the world turns off lights folks Christians, turn them on. Look around you. In your neighborhoods, in this season, light, especially the light at the end of the tunnel, represents hope, something that pierces the darkness. That's what light is. And we thank God for that. Live a godly life for Him, and the light of the Savior upon your life will be bright as can be. It's up to you to cultivate it. It's all up to you to stir up the giftings and callings of God. You do all that by having a militancy towards sin. I mean, hate sin to its very core. You have to have a militancy towards sin. You, you must have an urgency towards a sinner if you're to live a holy life. You have to have an urgency towards a sinner. If it hurt you and has wasted your time and, and caused you to not arrive at the destiny God has charted out to you. Can you imagine the condition the sinner is in without Christ in their heart? Have an urgency towards sinner, towards the sinner. Have a fervency towards the saints of God. Be in the house of God. Sometimes just being there encourages people. I know that because as a pastor, when I do, do not see people in the church that have been faithful, suddenly they miss for two or three weeks. Uh, it hurts me. It hurts my my vision and even my faith. I get discouraged to look about and see that there's very few people in the church. And folks, we need to have a fervency to towards the sinner and understand that our attendance does encourage other people to move on and to to love others and to do good works. Uh, do that, and you'll find um, the right attitude. Uh, in your spirit being cultivated. Also, 
The fourth attitude to cultivate is an expectancy towards the sinner. How do you do that? By being watchful. By keeping the word in your mind and your heart. By letting the word quicken you to this truth. By reading the book of Thessalonians, both of them, and Revelation. You'll be begin to have a burden for the, for those things that God wants us to to have, and by praying as well. So, I want to encourage you today, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, God is so good, and He's so faithful, and He is coming back, folks. He is coming back, and uh, the sinner will be judged. Uh, you and I will enter into heaven. We'll be taken up into the skies and. And uh, we'll meet the Savior, receive His grace and His mercy there in heaven. Uh, if our names are written in the book of life, uh, we'll enter in and we'll rejoice and celebrate at the banquet table of the bridegroom and, uh, and the bride. And so uh, those are exciting days. Prepare your hearts. Get ready because He's coming soon. God bless you. I love you. And I thank you for tuning in today in Jesus' name.